0: We're going to be learning in Chidush Rabbeinu Chaim HaLevi, the second piece in Hilchus Bikurim, Perik Beis Halakha Tesvav. This piece focuses on two issues which Rab Chaim's previously dealt with at some length. The first is whether a non-Jew can own land in Eretz Yisrael to exempt the produce from Truma and Meiser. And this is in large part based on a Rambam in Hilchus Trumos, Parak Aleph Halakha Yud. And Rab Chaim in his piece there in Hilchus Trumos already discussed this issue at some length, and he also commented on our rambam here in Hilchos Pikurim. So some of the ideas and sources in this piece will be a repeat from there. The second issue involves the distinction between the exemption that produce has at the moment that it grows a third versus when it's completed. And this is an issue that Rab Chaim touched on in the second piece on Hilchos Trumos Parak Allah Palachachav as well as in the piece in Hilchos Meiser. So this is also a well-established distinction that he makes. The Rambam writes If someone sells their field to a non Jew and then repurchases it, may be they're obligated in Bikurim Mida Oraisa from the Torah. Because we hold that a non-Jew does not have halachic ownership of land in Eretz Yisrael in order to exempt the produce from Bikurim. So based on that, the Rambam holds that this produce is obligated in Bikurim. Now the Raivit comments, Afal Even if the fruit ripened in the ownership of the non-Jew. So the Kesef Mishnah quotes from the Maori Kurkis two comments. First, he says that the Rambam is following his approach, which he's already stated in Hilchus Trumas, Parak Alef, halacha, Yud, that the whole halacha of Ein Kinyi Lenachri Barat Yisrael, that a non-Jew does not exempt produce, is only when the Jew repurchased the land, so the Jew becomes obligated in the Truma and Miser Bikurim. But if the non-Jew continues to own the produce, so then they do not have to take off Truma and Miser Bikurim. So this Rambam is in line with his comments in Hilchus Trumos that the stringency of Ein that the produce is still obligated in Truman and and Bikurim is only when a Jew repurchased the land. Number two, the Kest of Mishnah comments that if it ripened under the ownership of the non-Jew, so then that might be similar to Ruach, which is when it comes to grains, they're smooth, that's considered their completion, and that's when they become obligated in Truman and Miser. So when it comes to Fruits where there's no smoothing, it might be that the ripening is the equivalent of the smoothing, meaning it's completed. So the ripening is the moment which determines whether it's obligated in Bikurim. And if the non Jew owned it at that moment, even if the Jew purchases it after that, since at the moment of completion it was exempt from Bikurim, then it would continue to be exempt from Bikurim. So according to the Kesef Mishnah, the Rambam and the Rivet disagree. The Rivet holds that if it ripened, meaning it completed under the ownership of the non-Jew, and then the Jew purchased it, they are still obligated in Bikurim, whereas the Rambam holds in that case that it's forever exempt from Bikurim because at the moment of ripening, which is completion, it was exempt. Now, Rab Chaim has two ways to read this Kesef Mishnah. The first is that the Kesef Mishnah is offering two different reasons why the Rambam holds that if it ripened in the non-Jew's ownership, then it's forever exempt, meaning the Rambam disagrees Agrees With Derive it on that point for two different reasons. One is because the Rambam understands the whole halacha of Ain Kinyel Nokri Beret Yisrael, a non Jew doesn't have halachic ownership of Eretz Yisrael, is a halacha which teaches that the non Jew cannot remove the sanctity of the land of Eretz Yisrael. That's what the Rambam explicitly writes in Echus Trumos Aleph Yod, If a non Jew purchases Eretz Yisrael, he does not remove it from the mitzvos. El Arabik Dushasa, It remains sanctified. Therefore, based on that, says the Rambam, If a Jew repurchases the land, we don't consider it an individual conquest, a kibush yachid, which is not sanctified, but rather it reverts to its regular status of Eretz Yisrael, and he has to take Truma and Miser and Bikurim, everything min torah from the Torah, as if it was never sold to a non-Jew. So the Rambam understands the concept of ein kinyin to mean that a non-Jew cannot change the status of Kedushas Eretz Yisrael. But it doesn't refer to the actual produce which grows under the ownership of the non-Jew. There the Rambam holds that the non-Jew's ownership would remove the obligation of Truma and Meiser and Bikurim from the produce. In other words, the Halacha of Ein Lenachri is about the land, not about the produce. The produce is exempt from Truma and Meiser and Bikurim so long as it grew under the ownership of the non-Jew. So based on the Rambam's approach in Hilchus Trumos coming back to this and Hilchus Bikurim, he's repeating the same thing. If the produce grew and even ripened under the ownership of a non-Jew and then a Jew purchased it, so it's exempt from Bikurim because that produce was owned and grown by a non-Jew. So that's reason number one and it has nothing to do with the equivalency between ripening and completing or smoothing the grains. Reason number two is now a different distinct reason which centers on the connection between ripening Fruits and smoothing the grains. And the Rambam saying that since the ripening of the fruits is the completion of the fruits. So then just like the smoothing of the grains under the ownership of the non-Jew would exempt them forever from Truman and Meiser, even if you hold Ein Kinyin LeNachri Reb but still the fact that the non-Jew owned the produce at the moment when they would have become obligated in Truman and Meiser means that they're forever exempt. So in the same way, if the non-Jew had ownership over the produce when it ripened, it would forever be exempt from Bikurim. So that's approach number one to interpreting the Kesef Mishnah, that he's giving two distinct reasons why the Rambam holds that fruit which ripened under the ownership of a non-Jew is never obligated in Bikurim, even if a Jew then goes ahead and purchases it. But Rav Chaim says that there's another way to read the Kesef Mishnah's comments, and that is that both comments are working together. They're not separate and distinct, but they're both needed in order to explain the Rambam's view. Because there's a problem with the first reason that Ain Kinyi Lenachri only applies to the land, but the produce is still exempt from Truman and Maiser, or Bikurim in this case. Because the Rambam explicitly in Truma's Aleph Yud Aleph says that if the Jew purchased the grains and then completed them, then he is obligated in Truman and Maiser. So in the same way, if the Jew owned the fruits when they completed growing, he should be obligated in Bikurim. But the Rambam says a blanket exemption. So the answer is that there's a difference between grains and fruits because grains have the moment of meruach, the smoothing. So if the Jew bought it before then and then smoothed it, that's when he becomes obligated in Truman and meiser, which is what the Kesef Mishnah in Shmita Yovel Dalid Chavtes says. But when it comes to fruit, so there is no smoothing process. So the completion is completed automatically. There's nothing the farmer does. It just happens when the produce starts to ripen. So that's that's exactly what the Kesef Mishnah is adding here in his last comment, that the reason why Bikurim is different from grains is because there is no further step where he completes it. So once it ripens, it's considered completed. And if the non-Jew owned it when it ripened, then that produce is going to be exempt forever because the non-Jew's ownership is going to kick in in order to exempt the produce like the Rambam Holt, that the non-Jew can't own the land, but he does have ownership in the produce in order to exempt it. So the two Two comments of the Kesef Mishnah complement each other. The first one explains why the non Jews' ownership is going to exempt this produce from Bikurim. And the second one answers the implicit question why is it different from grains, where if the Jew purchases it and smooths it, he becomes obligated in Truman Meiser? And the answer is because here there is no second moment of completion. Once it's ripened, it's considered completed. But now Reb Chaim asks two questions on the Kesef Mishnah's approach. The first is that the Gemara and Gittin on Daf Mem Zayin seems to imply that the whole issue of Yesh Kenyan Lenachri or Ain Kenyan lenachri that whole debate centers on the produce itself, not on the land the way the Kesef Mishnah said. Because the Gemara asks a question on the opinion that Ein that a non-Jew does not exempt the produce from a Brisa which says that if a Jew bought a field from a non-Jew before the produce grew a third and then it grew a third under the ownership of the Jew and then he sold it back to the non-Jew so That produce is obligated in Maiser because at the moment it grew a third which is when the obligation begins it was owned by a Jew. So that produce even though it's then subsequently bought by a non-Jew, never loses its obligation in Meiser. But the implication is that if a non-Jew owned the produce when it grew a third, then it would be exempt from Meiser because at the moment of obligation, it was owned by a non-Jew. So the Gemara interprets that as the position of Yesh Kinyon Lenachri, that a non-Jew can own Eretz Yisrael in order to exempt the produce from Truma and Meiser. Now, Reb Chaim points out that according to the Gemara, even the view that Yesh Kinyon Lenachri, a non-Jew can exempt the produce, agrees that if a Jew bought the land before the produce grew a third, it would be obligated in Truma and Meiser. So that shows you that nobody holds that a non-Jew can remove the sanctity of Eretz Yisrael land. The whole issue and debate is whether a non-Jew who owns produce which grows a third exempts that produce. But nobody thinks that the land loses its sanctity because a non-Jew bought it. So this contradicts the Kesef Mishnah's approach to that debate, that the whole debate is about the land itself, but everybody agrees that the produce which grows under the non-Jew's ownership is exempt. But here we see in the Gemara's case that, on the view of Ein le Lenach Reberet Yisrael, the produce would be obligated even if it grew under the non Jews' ownership. So, this seems to go against the Kesef Mishnah. And the second question Rab Chaim has on the Kesef Mishnah's view is once the produce grew under the ownership of the non Jew, so it's exempt from Truma and Maisa, how could it be that when a Jew purchases it and completes it, the obligation of Truman Meiser comes back. Once something is exempt from Truman Meiser, it should remain that way. How does it become re-obligated in Truman Meiser? So Rab Chaim answers the Kesef Mishnah's approach with the following conceptual idea. And that is that even though, as Rab Chaim's proved, nobody in the Gemara holds that a non-Jew who buys Eretz Yisrael land removes the sanctity from the land, even the view that Yesh Kinyan Lenachri agrees that the land retains its sanctity. But that doesn't mean that the question of the land plays no role in the status of the produce, that the whole question of Yesh Kinyan or Ein Kinyan Lenachri centers purely on the produce removed entirely from the status of the land. What it means is that the status of the land affects the produce, meaning the land itself doesn't lose its sanctity, but it loses its sanctity with regard to creating produce, which is obligated in Truma and Mice. So the proper way to formulate this is that the view of means that if a non-Jew buys land that will affect the produce that grows from it that it's no longer obligated in Truman and Miser, but that's a reflection of the non-Jew's ownership of the land. So even though the only practical ramification has to do with the produce the land itself doesn't lose its sanctity but the fact that the produce is exempt from Truman and Miser is a reflection of the status of the land land. And the proof for this conceptual understanding is the Mishnah in Dma'i, Vav Beis, which says that someone who share crops a field from a non-Jew or gets a field from a non-Jew to work it, so the non-Jew owns the field, but the Jew is working it and going to own the produce, that produce is obligated in Truma and Meiser. And the Gemarn b'metziah, Kuf Aleph, explains that that view is based on the idea of Ein Kinyin Lenachri but the implication is that the other view of Yesh Kinyin Lenachri would hold that in the case of the sharecropper the produce is exempt from Truman Meiser even though the Jew is going to own the produce so, you see that the fact that the non Jew owns the land, even though the Jew owns the produce, means that the produce is exempt because the status of the land affects the obligation of the produce in Truman Meiser. So, based on this conceptual idea, Ab Chaim explains that when the Halacha says that the produce of a non Jew is exempt from Truman Meiser, it means not that the status of the produce itself changed because then it would be independent of the question of who owns the land, which is Is not true as we said, so it must mean that the status of the land changed, which then impacts the produce that it's no longer obligated in truma and meiser. So now this refined conceptual idea gets us closer to the Kesef Mishnah because the Kesef Mishnah is correct that the Machlokas of Yesh Kenyon or Ein Kenyon Lenachri is not about the produce in a vacuum, it's about the status of the land. So that much has been established. But still there's the technical problem from the Gemara because the Gemara implies that according to the view of Ein Kenyon Lenachri Barat Yisrael, even if the non-Jew owned the produce when it grew a third, if a Jew then purchases that produce, it would be obligated in Truman Meiser. Whereas the Kesef Mishnah says very clearly that everyone agrees in that case, it's exempt from Truman Meisser because at the moment it became obligated, it was owned by a non-Jew. So, in order to answer this, Rab Chaim applies a distinction that he makes in a few places between the moment when the produce grows a third and the moment when it's completed. Even though those are the two milestones with regard to Truman Meisser, Rab Chaim points out that there's a fundamental difference. When the produce grows a third, it's not that it actually becomes obligated in Truman miser, but it becomes in the concept of Truman Meisser, meaning the farmer doesn't have to take the Truman Meisser at that moment, but he could voluntarily take it and it will count as his true man, miser. But that's different than the moment of completion when the produce becomes not just in the concept of Truman Miser, it's already been there for a while, but now it becomes actually obligated in Truman meiser. So that's a much stronger milestone. Now, this distinction is also going to play out in terms of what exempts the produce from Truman Miser at each of those different milestones. Because the Mishnah and Pay and Peregdalid establishes a principle that any produce which was not obligated in Truman Miser at the moment of obligation cannot subsequently become obligated in Truman and Meister. But this principle is going to play out differently at the two milestones. Because sometimes the produce is just not obligated in a passive way. It's not that it's actively exempt, it just hasn't become obligated. Whereas other times there's a factor which actively exempts the produce. So what level of exemption is needed is going to depend on which milestone we're dealing with. If it's when the produce grows a third, so then just not being obligated in a passive way is not going to be enough to exempt it forever because anyways the produce is not really obligated at that moment. So saying that the produce is not obligated in truma doesn't add much to its general status. In order for the produce to be exempt forever, it would have to be actively exempt for some reason at the moment when it grows a third, as opposed to when the produce is completed. So at that point, even if it's just passively not obligated, then it's going to be exempt forever because there's nothing that can subsequently obligate it. There are no more milestones left. So even just a passive lack of obligation is gonna remain forever with no way to change the status. So now applying these ideas back to our discussion, so Rab Chaim says something very brilliant. And that is whether a non-Jew's ownership is a passive or an active exemption is the very debate between the two views of Yesh Kinyin or Ein Kinyin Lenachri. The view that Yesh Kinyin Lenachri means that it's an active exemption because the non-Jews ownership of the land actively exempts the produce from Truman Meister. Ein Kenyon on the other hand, means that the non-Jews ownership passively exempts it just because it doesn't become obligated, but there's no active exemption on the produce. So that's why the Gemara makes a distinction between Yesh Kinyin versus Ein Kenyan in the case where the non-Jew owns the produce when it grew a third. Because as Rab Chaim said, it needs not a passive exemption, but an active exemption at that point. And the view that Aim Kinyan Lenachri is just a passive exemption. So it's not going to exempt the produce forever. And if a Jew then goes ahead and buys the produce, it will become obligated, assuming he completes the produce. Only according to the other view that Yesh Kenyan Lenachri, so it's an active exemption if a non Jew owns it, then it doesn't matter if the Jew goes ahead and completes the produce, because since when it grew a third, it was actively exempt from Truman Meiser, it can never become obligated again. So this is going to explain very nicely why the Gemara differentiates between Yesh Kenyan or Ain Kenyan in the case where a non Jew owned it and then a Jew purchased it, even though everyone, according to the Kesef Mishnah, agrees that at the moment when it Grew a third, it was exempt from Truman Meiser because it was owned by a non Jew. Produce owned by a non Jew is always exempt from Truman Meiser. But while both views in the Gemara agree with that, The difference is whether it can become obligated later on and that's going to be a distinction between Yesh Kinyan or Ain Kinyan. So these ideas of Rab Chaim very beautifully explain how the Kesef Mishnah could read the Gemara according to his approach to this debate. It will answer both questions that Rab Chaim asked. First, why does the Gemara imply that there is a view that if a non-Jew owns the produce when it grows a third, it's still obligated? And the answer is it's not obligated at that moment, but later on it could become obligated based on Rab Chaim's whole analysis. And the second question was, once the produce is exempt, how can it become obligated later on? And the answer is because it was only passively exempt when it grew a third, so that's not enough to exempt it forever. Now, Reb Chaim continues to develop this idea, and he points to the Rambam that he quoted before in Trumos Aleph Yud Aleph, where the Rambam says that if a non-Jew buys land in Eretz Yisrael, so if he completes the produce, then it's exempt from Truman and Meiser, but if a Jew buys it and completes it, then the Jew is obligated in Truman and Meiser. So, Reb Chaim explains that his analysis is going to explain nicely this halacha in the Rambam too, because the halacha is Ein kinyan L'Nachri b'Eretz Yisrael, which means that that when a non-Jew owns land in Eretz Yisrael, it's a ptura ba'alma. It's a passive non-obligation on the produce. But it's not a hafka. It's not an active exemption. So that's exactly why it makes a difference who owns it when the produce is completed. If the non-Jew also completed it, then even though it's a passive exemption, that's enough because there is no further milestone to obligate this produce. As opposed to if a Jew bought it in the meantime and then the Jew completed it, so even though it was passively exempt at the moment when it grew a third, but now that the Jew purchased it and completed it, at that moment it becomes obligated and that's why the Rambam rules that it's obligated fully and true and Meiser. So, Rav Chaim's approach is going to very nicely explain this distinction the Rambam makes in Trumas Aleph Yud Aleph between who did the Meruach, the Jew or the non-Jew, even though it was grown by the non-Jew. And now, Rav Chaim continues to explain another Rambam, two Halachas later, in Aleph Yud Gimel, where the Rambam presents the same Halacha that if a non-Jew does Meruach, then it's exempt from Truma and Miser, but he presents it a little bit differently. He writes, Perus writes, if a non-Jew bought produce from a Jew and then he completed it, so it's not obligated mida to truman truma and miser, only rabbinically. So in Halacha Yod Gimel, the Rambam emphasizes that the non-Jew owns the produce when he did the Meruach. That's different than two Halachas earlier in Yod Aleph where he stressed that the non-Jew owned the produce throughout, even while it was growing. So Rav Chaim explains that in fact the Rambam is alluding to two different concepts in these two halachas. In Yud Gimel he's telling us the halacha that if a non-Jew owns produce and then completes it, then it's exempt from Truman and meiser. And the reason is very simple, because a non-Jew's meruach is not going to obligate in truma and meiser. So that's why this produce is exempt. But in Halacha Yud Aleph, according to Rabbi Chaim's reading, the Rambam is alluding to his conceptual idea that he's developing. That it's not about the moment of Meruach, but it's about the Kinyan Nachri. Since a non-Jew owns this produce, at the milestone when it would have become obligated, so therefore it was passively exempt, and there are no further milestones for it to become obligated. So the way the Rambam presents the exemption of Meruach by a non-Jew in the two different halachas alludes to Rab Chaim's approach. One is the practical idea that the Meruach of a non-Jew doesn't create an obligation of Truma and Meiser, and the other is Rab Chaim's whole idea that there's a special connection between the exemption of Meruach, and Kenyan Nahri. And now, using these ideas, Rab Chaim returns to the Kasef Mishnah, quoting the Mari Korkis. And based on the ideas he's developed, he explains the Kesef Mishnah's approach with more color. And that is the Kesef Mishnah is basically applying the same framework from grains with Meruach and the Kinyan Nahri to the case of Bikurim on fruits. And he's saying that once the fruit ripened in the ownership of the non-Jew, so even though that's a passive exemption, but since the ripening is the final stage of completion, because there is no smoothing for fruits, so once a passive exemption at the final stage of completion, then it's a forever exemption. So the Kesef Mishnah is pointing out that Bikurim works the same as Trumus and Miserus for grains. And even more so, that's why the Kesef Mishnah invokes the halacha of Meruach Nachri in this context. He compares the case where the fruit ripened in the ownership of the non-Jew to the halacha of Meruach Nachri, which is exempt. Even though Meruach doesn't seem to have any connection with who owns it. So why is the Kesef Mishnah comparing the case of who owns Bikurim to the case of who completed the grains? So the answer is, like Rabbi Chaim just explained, because there's another element of Meruach Nachri, which is that when the non-Jew owns it, then it becomes a forever exemption. So that's the element the Kesif Mishnah is invoking here, that if the non-Jew owns the fruit when it ripens, which is its last chance to become obligated in Bikurim, then it's going to be a forever exemption. So this explains very nicely the whole approach and all of the comments of the Kesif Mishnah that Rabbi Chaim's brought together. Now, Rab Chaim continues in the third paragraph, and he's going to use these ideas to answer another Rambam in Trumus, Trumas Aleph, Alach Gimel, which he referenced already. If a Jewish farmer sold his produce to a non-Jew before it came to Onas Hamasros, the time of Meiser, which is when it brings a third, so before that he sold it to a non-Jew, and then the non-Jew completed the produce, so then it's totally exempt from Truma. The Im If it had already brought a third So it was in the concept of meiser. So if at that point The Jew sold it to the non-Jew Then it's more strict And even though the non-Jew completed it He's still obligated In Truma and Maiser Midra so the Rambam rules that in all cases where the non-Jew completes it, the produce is exempt from Truman and mida o Raisa. But he differentiates that if the non-Jew bought it before it brought a third, then he's totally exempt. But if he bought it after it brought a third, then he's obligated midra Abbanan. Now, the Ravid asks, I don't know what the Rambam is referring to when he says that the non-Jew completed it. If he's talking about the actual completion, the smoothing, the last step, so then why should the non-Jew be exempt? We hold Ain Kinyan Lenachri. A non-Jew's purchasing does not change the status of the produce. So in the case where the non-Jew bought it early on before it brought a third and then he completed it, why should he be completely exempt? The Raivet says he should at least be obligated rabbinically in Truma and Meiser. So in the case where the non-Jew buys the produce early on and then completes it, the Raivet disagrees with the Rambam's total exemption and he holds that at least the non-Jew should be obligated rabbinically based on the idea of ain kinyan leNachri Yisrael. So Rab Chaim explains the debate between the Rambam and and it. The Rambam holds that where the non-Jew bought the produce after it grew a third, and then he completed it. So if a Jew buys it back, he is obligated in Truman and Maiser, rabbinically, even though he's exempt mido raisa. Because the last line talks about the last line talks about exera last the rabbis were worried about wealthy Jews who would either mistakenly buy from another Jew and think it was still exempt, or they would try to skirt the system and sell the produce to a non-Jew when it was being completed. Either way, in order to avoid these issues, the rabbis instituted a rabbinic obligation of Truman and Miser in that case. But the Rambam holds that if the non-Jew purchased the produce before it grew a third, then it's totally exempt because the exemption is not just a matter of who completes, it, it's a stronger exemption that when it grew a third to begin with, it was owned by a non-Jew. So there, there is no rabbinic obligation of Truman Meiser. And that's exactly what the Rebbe disagrees with. And he says that Ein means that there is no stronger exemption, even though it was owned by a non-Jew when it grew a third. That's an irrelevant factor because the non-Jew's ownership doesn't affect the status of the land. So it should be the exact same case as a non-Jew who bought the produce later on in in the process, and in both of them, there should be a rabbinic obligation to take Truma and meiser. So, Rab Chaim suggests that his approach in the Rambam so far could answer this Rambam too. Because even though the Rambam agrees, Ain Kinyan Lenachri, he interprets that to mean that there's no active exemption, but there is a passive exemption. So that would differentiate between the case where the non-Jew bought it earlier in the process versus later. When he buys it later, at least when the produce grew a third, it was owned by a Jew and it was obligated in Miser at that point. So in that case, the rabbis created a rabbinic obligation of Truma and Miser. But in the case where the non-Jew buys it earlier in the process, so when the produce grew a third, it's not that it was actively exempt, but it was passively exempt because it was owned by a non-Jew, so that's enough to differentiate that the rabbis never made a decree in that case, and that's why it's totally exempt from Truman Miser if a non-Jew buys it and completes it. So Rab Chaim's explanation in the Rambam of what in Kenyan Lenachri means will also explain this Rambam and why he believes that the whole Gzera Midra Bonan of Truman Miser where a non-Jew completed it, only applies in a case where a non-Jew bought it later on in the process. But earlier on, where there was no obligation whatsoever, so there, according to the Rambam, it's a full exemption. And Rab Chaim brings a proof to his approach from the Rambam a few halachas after that, in Halacha Chaf, where the Rambam has a case of a Jew and a non-Jew who own a field in partnership. So the Rambam rules that if they then split it, certainly after the produce has been cut, but even if it's still standing, so it's Tebel the Chul Mu the whole clash, the clash, mechelko shall the halacha is that there's tevel and chulan permitted and prohibited mixed up in each stock which belongs to the non-Jew. So the Jew takes his portion of the split and has to take truma and miser on it. But even in the non-Jew's portion it's also obligated in truma and miser because it has tevel mixed in there. And then the Rambam concludes This is true even when the non-Jew completed the produce. So the whole obligation is only midrabanan but even though the obligation is midrabanan still the non-jew's portion is obligated so that's the rambam's conclusion that if the non-jew takes the portion and then sells it to a jew that jew is obligated to take truman meiser midrabanan so rab Chaim deals with a very important question on this psaka the rambam and he points out that there's really three portions in this case one is the portion of the non-jew which he keeps which is totally exempt from truman meiser even midra banan and that's based on the rambam shita we just saw earlier that if the non-jew owned it while it was growing and finished it so then it's totally exempt even midra banan so in this case because of the partnership that portion is totally exempt anything which is owned as the Jews' portion is totally obligated in Truman Meiser, even Mido Risa, it's fully obligated. And again, that's based on the Psak of Ain Kinyin Lenachri. The non-Jew's ownership does not in any way affect or limit the Jews' obligation in Truman Meiser. So anything that's part of the portion of the Jew is totally obligated, Mido Risa. But then there's the third case which is the produce of the non-Jews which is sold to a Jew and that's what the Rambam's saying that it's obligated midra and that's again based on the Zeira of Kisan, which we saw earlier that produce of a Jew which was completed by a non-Jew and then bought by a Jew is obligated midra So that's where the Rambam is ruling in this case that it's obligated midra Now, the idea that the Rambam says that the non-Jews portion is not totally exempt from Truma and Miser is based on the concept of Ein Brer, that you can't retroactively clarify something in Halakha. Now, in general, we hold Yesh Brera in cases of Drabanan, that it could be retroactively clarified. Only in cases involving a Da'oraisa issue do we hold Ein Brera. So, the ruling of the Rambam that the non Jew's portion does have a potential obligation in Truman miser is based on Ein Brera, because if you hold Yesh Brera, so then once the non Jew takes his portion, it's retroactively clarified that that was always his produce. And it would never be obligated in Truman Meiser at all. So the fact that it could become obligated is based on Ain Braira. But Rab Chaim asks that this whole case only involves the Drabanan issue. Because since the non-Jew completed the produce, so that may ruach nahri means that there is no obligation of Truman Miser midoraisa. It's only potentially midrabanan. So the whole question involves Truman and Miser midrabanan, and we should say yesh Braira. Now, this part of Rab Chaim's question is also asked by the Radvaz in his commentary on the Rambam here. But Rab Chaim adds a very sharp point which strengthens his question. And that is that even though part of the issue here centers on whether the non-Jew's ownership, meaning his partnership, affects the status of the produce, so that's actually both a Doraisa issue and a drabanan issue. Because on a Doraisa level, if the non-Jew owns it, then the produce is exempt. If he doesn't own it, then the Produce is obligated. And the same is true Midra Banan, because as the Rambam said before, if the non Jew owned it the whole time when it grew and when it was completed, then even if a Jew buys it, it's exempt even Midra Banan. So, both on a Doraisa and a Drabanan level, it's going to matter whether the non-Jews' ownership disrupts the obligation of Truman and Meiser. But says Rav Chaim, that's still not correct, because it's clear that we hold in Kinyan Lenachri. So, the non-Jews' partnership does not disrupt the Jews' obligation in Truman and Meiser. That's why the Jews' portion He's fully obligated, Mido Reisa and Truman miser. But again, in this case, because the non Jew did the Meruach, so that exempted it, Mido Reisa. And the only question here is whether the rabbinic Gezerah takes effect. Now that's going to depend on whether the non Jew owned it when it grew a third or not. So this is a very sharp distinction that Rav drawing in the Rambam. When it comes to the Do-Raisa, it's clear that we hold Ein Kinyan lenachri. The non-Jew's ownership does not affect the Jew's produce's status. But when it comes to the Dra'banan, so suddenly Ein Breira, we're not sure whether the non-Jew owned it when it grew a third or not. So Rab Chaim says that the answer to this question is based on his whole idea in the Rambam, that when the Rambam says his case, that produce which grew under a non-Jew, and then was completed by a non-Jew, and then sold to a Jew, is totally exempt from Truman Meiser. that's based on the idea that when it grew a third, it was owned by a non-Jew, so there was no obligation at that moment. So in conjunction with the fact that there was no obligation, the rabbis didn't make a of balekisen later on when the Jew buys it. So now if that's the case, then this is actually an issue which touches on a do raisa, Even though it's essentially a draw bunun on question whether the gzera kicks in, but it involves a do raisa factor of when the produce grew a third, was it obligated in truma and meiser? And that's directly related to the issue of yesh kinyan or ain kinyan l'nachri b'eretz Yisrael, which is a do raisa question. So even though it's a drabanan gezerah, but it kicks in based on whether or not the produce became obligated when it grew a third. And that is a doraisa question of whether a non-Jew has ownership in Eretz Yisrael. So this non-Jew who owned the produce when it grew a third, and then he completed it, and then he sold it to a Jew, yes, practically the question centers on the Gzeira Midra Banan, but the essential Brera question centers on whether or not the non-Jew has ownership in Eretz Yisrael, and that's Do Raisa. So that's why the Rambam rules in this case, Ain Brera, and if the Jew buys it from the non-Jew, he would have to take Truman or Midra Banan on that produce. So this is a very brilliant reframing of this question based on Rab Chaim's approach in the Rambam that the exemption from the Gzeira of Bale is in addition to the fact that the produce never became obligated when it grew a third. And Rab Chaim points out that all this also reinforces his major point that even the view of Ein Kinyan Lanachri, a non Jew, does not have ownership in Eretz Yisrael, but the produce which he grows is exempt from Truman Meiser, meaning he does have an exemption on the produce itself, even if it's not on the land. Now, so far, this whole piece from Rab Chaim, all the ingenious ideas and insights and the brilliant questions and answers have all been to explain the Kesef Mishnah's approach to reading the Rambam, because the Kesef Mishnah holds that the Rambam disagrees with the Ravid, and he holds that if the produce ripened under the non-Jew, and then a Jew purchased it, he's still exempt from Bikurim. But now in the last paragraph, Reb Chaim questions the whole approach of the Kasef Mishnah, and he disagrees with him in the basic reading of the Rambam. He does not think that the Rambam disagrees with the Ravid, but rather that he agrees with the Ravid that in that case, the Jew would be obligated in Bikurim. And the way Rav Chaim gets there is, of course, conceptual. He points out that there's a key difference between meruach versus ripening. Meruach is something that the person does. But ripening is something which passively happens to their fruit. And the whole idea of Meruach, the way Rabbi Chaim explained it, is that if there's a passive exemption, when the farmer goes ahead and completes the produce, so he is doing an action, but there's a passive exemption, so that's enough to forever cement that this produce is exempt from Truman and Meiser. But that's not true when the produce just ripens on its own. The farmer's not doing anything. So there, if there's a passive exemption, along with the passive process of ripening, so that's not enough to cement the exemption forevermore. And if a Jew goes ahead and buys it after that, then they would be obligated to bring Bikur. So Reb Chaim presents a fundamental distinction between fruits and grains only when it comes to grains can we talk about the process of Meruach cementing the exemption from Truman and Meiser, even with a passive reason. But when it comes to Bikurim, since the whole process of ripening, which is completion, is passive to begin with, so the Kinyan Nachri, which is also a passive exemption, is not enough to cement an exemption forever. And if the Jew buys it after that, he would have to bring Bikurim, just like the rivid said. And now, Rab Chaim continues with the next phrase the Rambam nifkas mina mitzvos, that it doesn't lose its sanctity and it's removed from mitzvos. So the Kesef Mishnah's interpretation of that phrase was that the Rambam saying the halacha of Ain Kinyin Lenachri that the non-Jew doesn't have ownership is only in reference to the land itself, that the land doesn't lose its kedusha, But the produce which grows under his ownership does lose its status and it's not obligated in Truma and Miser at all. Now, Rab Chaim says that you could read it the other way, that the Rambam means to say, like Rab Chaim's approach, that the land doesn't lose its sanctity in order to affect the produce. Rab Chaim's idea was that the status of the produce is a reflection of the status of the land. So even though the land doesn't totally lose its sanctity, but it loses it with regard to the produce which grows there under the non-Jew. So that's what the Rambam is trying to say, that it's not removed from the mitzvot, meaning this land has not lost its status with regard to the produce, because ain't kin'yan lenachri. So that's why it's obligated in Bikurim, when the Jew purchases it, even if it ripened under the non-Jew. So the Kesef Mishnah and Rab Chaim are going to have subtly different ways of reading that phrase in the Rambam, ifkas mitzvos. according to the Kesef Mishnah, it reinforces his point that the produce is exempt, only the land doesn't lose its sanctity, whereas according to Rab Chaim, it's going to reinforce his point that the produce is obligated because the land did not lose its sanctity with regard to the produce. And in conclusion, Rabchaim Chaim has two proofs to his reading of the Rambam. The first is that the Rambam in Trumus Aleph Yud groups the Halacha of Bikurim together with Truma and Miser. So he seems to imply that they're all in the same group. They all have parallel Halachas. Now with regard to Truma and Miser, so it's clear in the Rambam in Halacha Yud Aleph right after that, which we saw before, that it's not enough that the produce grew under the ownership of the non-Jew, even if it fully ripened, that would not exempt it forever unless the non-Jew also did Meruach. So in the same way, says Rab Chaim, with regards to Bikurim, it's not enough to exempt it forever, the fact that it grew and ripened under the ownership of the non-Jew, Because there has to be a similarity between the case of Bikurim and Truma and Miser. The Rambam implies they have the same detailed halachas. So just like Truma and Miser, it's not enough to just grow under the ownership of the non-Jew. The same is true of Bikurim. And if a Jew then purchases that produce, he would be obligated in Truma and Miser and Bikurim since they all have the same detail of the halacha. And the second proof Rab Chaim has is because the Gemara in Gitin Mem Zayin, where it's discussing the whole issue of Ain Kenyan or Yesh Kenyan so it brings a proof from a Mishnah that a Jew who sells his field to a non-Jew has to bring Bikurim from the produce Mipnei Tikun for the good of society. So you see that it's not inherently obligated, it's only tikkun ha'olam. So that implies that yesh kinyin lenachri, meaning the non-Jews' ownership, exempted the produce from bikurim. But the clear implication is that the other position of Ain Kinyin Lenachri would hold that in that case where the Jew sold the non-Jew the field, there's an inherent obligation to bring Bikurim even though it ripened under the ownership of the non-Jew. So that shows that ripening is not an exemption when it comes to Bikurim according to the view of Ain Kinyin Lenachri. So that's Rab Chaim's piece and again there's a lot of overlap with his similar discussion of these topics in the Rambam Trumos Aleph Yud and here he covers a lot of the same Ground, the key conceptual points that he's developing are this idea of whether the non Jews' ownership affects the sanctity of Eretz Yisrael. And the Rambam seems to imply that the debate of Yesh Kinyin or Ein Kinyan does center on the sanctity of the land itself. That's why the Kesef Mishnah says that everybody is going to agree that the produce itself has no sanctity. The only question is about the land. And Rab Chaim's more hesitant in that regard. First, he suggests a modified version of the Kesef Mishnah, that no one holds the land loses its sanctity, but it means that the land would lose its sanctity in order to obligate the produce in Truma and Meiser. So that's a modified version of saying that. And then at the end, Rav Chaim suggests a totally new approach that the Rambam holds even the produce doesn't lose its sanctity. Second, Reb Chaim has a key distinction between the moment when the produce grows a third versus when it's completed, the Meruach. And the two milestones differ because when the produce brings a third, it's not obligated in Truma and Maiser but it is in the concept of truma and meiser, as opposed to when it's completed, so then it's obligated in truma and meiser. And finally, Rab Chaim distinguishes between the two completions of grains versus fruits, the ripening versus the meruach, that meruach is an active completion of the grains, whereas the ripening is just passive. So those are some of the ideas that Rab Chaim's developing, and he ties them together to try to make sense of the Rambam with regard to truma and meiser and bikurim, when a Jew buys from a non-Jew.